times on up through 2011. And then in uh, 2012, the first Sunday of the new year, which was January 1, we had these signs put up to remind everybody that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, we redesigned our bulletin to say this is the year of the Lord's favor. We've got it on our website. If you go on the internet and check our website at firstagop.com, our website says 2012, the year of the Lord's favor. We were saying it everywhere. And then this week, I got the regular quarterly letter from our general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I got it by email so it would come to me faster. They didn't want me to miss this. And his message for the first newsletter for the ministers of the Assemblies of God for this year is titled, Guess What? The Year of the Lord's Favor. And I intend to write our general superintendent and tell him I had it first. <laughs> but I'm glad God speaks to more than one person. I'm glad. I've, I've been putting in all my emails to all my preacher friends. When I write them, I say, 2012 is the year of the Lord's favor. I've told all kinds of people. I have people in text messages. Yes, I do text. And sometimes I do, excuse you. But I I shouldn't have even said that. Now I'll have more to answer. But anyway, no. But uh, I've been putting it out everywhere. 2012, the year of the Lord's favor. You know why? Because I believe it is. That's why. Jesus came from the Mount of Temptation. He was in the wilderness, and the enemy was attacking him. At every point that mankind is vulnerable. And Jesus withstood the challenge based on declaration of When he came down, he traveled from that wilderness of temptation back towards his hometown of Nazareth. And he performed ministry along the way. But his official opening in the record of Luke after the wilderness of temptation was in the synagogue of Nazareth in the little village where, as a boy, he had grown up, working in his father's carpentry shop, interacting with the other siblings in his family. I won't discuss with you the brothers and sisters of Jesus. The record of the Scripture says he had them, whether they were children of Joseph by previous marriages, some say, or whether they were children born after the birth of Jesus when Mary was still a virgin. We'll discuss that another time. The fact of the matter is there were siblings in the family. Jesus wasn't an only child in that family of Joseph and Mary. So all the people of Nazareth, when he came into the synagogue that day and took up the scriptures and read this scripture, were overjoyed that one of our own is so prominent and so outstanding and reads with such authority, declares the scriptures with such a presence about him. They were happy when, he when Jesus read this from the Scriptures, from the prophecy of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they were excited about it until he went on to express his teachings related to the scriptures. And they began to perceive that he was saying this scripture was about him, which it was. But as they began to understand that's what he was saying, they became very upset with him. And they began to say, wait a minute. We know, we know this young man. He grew up here among us. I've bought benches and chairs from his father's carpentry shop. I've seen him playing out in the streets with the other children. We know him. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mother and father. How can he be who he says he is? And they became so incensed about it. They actually grew in their opposition about it. Their emotions began to stir. And they were angry about it. To the point that they decided this young man that we've known all this time is a false prophet and we need to get rid of him. So they tried. Their intention was to kill him. That's exactly what the scripture says. They were going to take him out on a high level outside Nazareth and throw him down the hill expecting to kill him and then stone him after that if he wasn't dead. That was their plan. The father delivered him and caused him to be able to escape and leave. This is what I want you to see in the beginning of this message. These people heard Jesus declare, this is the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know that it was the first of the year. I don't know what month it was. I just know that when Jesus says it, it's true. He said, this is the year of the Lord's favor. I know the Lord showed me this back in November, and I started to dwell on it and pray about it and seek God about it. I became more and more convinced, and I became overwhelmingly persuaded that 2012, decisions of God in the calendar of God in the economy of God he has decided that 2012 is the year of his favor and I believe it I'm going to stand on it but these people of Nazareth could not accept that message because they had known him so long they had their ideas and notions about him preconceived and they were not willing to change They could not accept the message of the Lord because they were not willing to accept the Lord's messenger. And the reason they could not accept the Lord's messenger is that they were unwilling to change their ideas, their notions, and their preconceived opinions. They saw Jesus only as they'd seen Him growing up and nothing more. And I'm going to tell you this morning, my friends, when Nazareth was not willing to accept the change in Jesus... You cannot let yourself be in that category if you want the favor of God. You cannot let yourself be in the place of being unwilling to change, unwilling to let anything different happen, unwilling to make any kind of an alteration in the course of your life that you set by your own determination, unwilling to hear the Word of God or believe the Word of God or react to what the Spirit of God and the Son of God want to do for you. You cannot come under the Lord's favor that way. Nazareth rejected the year of the Lord's favor. You can reject the year of the Lord's favor, or you can decide to do whatever it takes to get in on that 
and say, God's calendar is my calendar. And when God says 2012 is the year of favor, I'm going to believe that this year, 2012, is the year of the Lord's favor for my life. It's your choice. And I will tell you this. I know there's some people saying, well, I really want God's favor. I'm just hoping God will change things for me this year. I'm reading your mail, right? I'm just hoping God will change things this year. I've cried and I've prayed and I've sobbed and I've bawled. I said, oh, God, change something. <laughs> I know that's not really funny when you're down doing that, and I've been right there. <laughs> but I will tell you this. I know this. If you want something to change, you better change something. What I'm telling you is, if you want God to do something different in your life, you need to do something different for God. If you want God to do more for you, you better set up your plan to do more for God. I'm not saying you can earn God's favor. I don't think you can. I believe the favor of God is a sovereign choice of the Lord. He just divinely selects and imposes the favor in spite of everything that the enemy has put over your life, every cloud, every opposition, whatever the enemy has put over your life, God finds a way to plow through that and put favor on you. But you've got to do something yourself to show God you want His best. Not willing to settle for any little thing that comes along. You want God's best. And that's the only way you're going to get God's best is to want it. So I will just tell you, if you don't want anything from God, that's okay. Because if you don't want anything from God, you probably won't get anything. If you don't want anything from God, you won't have to change a thing. You can go on being just like you are. Be just as hard to get along with as you are right now. Be just as objectionable as you are right now. Keep on going in the grocery store and fussing out the people in there because you think it's their fault. They don't have hot sauce and they only have medium. I mean, if you're going to complain about something, find something big enough to complain about, right? You just keep on being that way and you won't get any more from God than you've already got. Well, I didn't know I was going to preach good this morning. Make sure you're getting this recorded, Bill. I don't want to listen. I want to hear this again. <laughs> if you don't want anything from God I'll make you a promise right now I'll make you a guarantee if you don't want anything from God He's not going to bother you He tried to give you something if you don't want it He'll just leave you alone you say well I don't know anything in my life I want to change just you don't oh my God let's have an altar call right now if I thought I had a crowd of people like that I'd say let's start praying I know you don't believe that. I know you don't feel that. I know that's not your attitude. You know something needs to change in your life. And you know it's something that you need to do. You can't wait around for God to come along and do it. Oh, you've got to say something to God. I'm willing to do something, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever you show me. You see, this is what the Scripture says. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He didn't say, I'm going to draw near to you, and then if you want to, you can draw near to me. But he did say beyond that, he didn't stop. That's not a whole verse. It's just part of the verse. The rest of the verse says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
And he said something to the rest of us that maybe are not sinners, but he said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, oh, oh. That was like a dagger, wasn't it? Surprised you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And how are you going to draw near to him? You know, I have spent the last three and a half years or so seeking God in a way more intense, and let me, just, let me just say in a way different from the way I sought God for many years before that. I've been seeking God in the last few years the way I sought Him when I was a young man, wanting God's will, wanting to know God's plan, wanting to follow God's purpose. I've been seeking that way, God that way again. And I found out something when I start drawing near to God, and I, I'm trying to draw near to God, and I say, Lord, you said if I, draw near, if I would draw near to you, you would draw near to me. That's your promise, Lord. And he says, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And then he starts talking to me like this. Now, I don't know how God says things to you when you're in prayer and when you're surrendering to God. This is the kind of the way he talks to me. I say, oh, God, I want more of you, Lord. And he says, you know, I was just thinking about that, son. I want more of you too. <laughs> but no, that's not what I was praying about, Lord. I was praying about what you could do for me. And he said, yeah, but I want to know what you'll do for me. God, what are you willing to do for me? I read it in your word. He says, whatever you're willing to do for me. I sometimes don't like it when God talks to me that way. I would rather God say, oh, yes, son, tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, be sure to be up. I know you usually are, but don't miss it tomorrow morning. Be sure to be up at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Because when 6 o'clock, when that 6 o'clock note right hits, and you know that you wake up, oh, well, when that happens, everything you're asking for is going to pour right in. By 7 o'clock, everybody in Jacksonville and Orange Park and Clark County and Nassau County will know what I'm doing for you. It's going to be so great, nobody will even be able to believe it. I'm still waiting for that. It hadn't, <laughs> he hasn't told me that yet, but I'm waiting for him to do something. That's what I want him to do, don't you? But he doesn't do it that way. I say, oh, Lord, I want more of your power. And he says, well, I want more purity. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'd like to be happier, Lord. He said, I'd like for you to be holier. Oh, my I'm just going to shut up, Lord, because every time I say something, you, you, you're above and beyond. I can do that or I can say, oh, God, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, what you want is what I want. What I want from you, Lord, I'm willing to pay the price of my ultimate surrender to you. I'm willing to lay on the altar, Lord, whatever it takes. I'm willing to put anything, whatever it is, Lord, you ask, I'll put it on this altar, God, and I'll never take it up again. Because if you don't want me to have it, I don't want it. If you don't want that in my life, I don't want it in my life. What change you tell me to make, God, for your glory and by your strength and in your power, that's the change I will make because I want to do whatever it takes to have your favor, your favor, your favor poured out on me. So if you want God to do something different in your life, you need to do something different in your life for God. 
Because when you start telling God what you want from Him, He will start telling you what He wants from you. I guarantee you, I flat guarantee and promise it to you, He will. That's why the Scripture says, you ought to read, you ought to read 1 John, the latter part of the third chapter. Whatever the last paragraph of that is, I don't know the starting of the verse. But that whole last paragraph in the third chapter of 1 John it talks about abiding in him. And you know, this is the same man that the Spirit inspired to write the gospel according to John. In the 15th chapter, he put a big, big if out there. If you want things from God, you want to receive from God, this is the if he put out there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Now, you know, sometimes I feel like God tells me things and, and I'm always reluctant to say this. I don't go around every day saying, well, Lord, help me find that parking place. I'm going to cruise around the parking lot until I get that parking space right there because I want to walk right in the front door. You know? And God says, well, just keep on driving. It'll come open after a while. And after a while it will. Doesn't mean God did it, but it will after a while. You drive around long enough. <laughs> or you park over on the other side of the parking lot, it'll come out. You might not be the one to get in it first, but it'll come open after a while. Doesn't mean that God did it for you. I'm telling you that God's not that mundane, that simple. But God does deal with us. He does speak to us. And, and yeah, I, uh, oh, a year or so ago, I think maybe not too long after I came to Orange Park, I felt the Lord was speaking to me about reading the four more now I've read the four gospels I, I I've often said I wish I'd started writing down the numbers of times I'd read them so I could brag about it but I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know how many times I've read them so but many 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 times and so I, the Lord I felt like started dealing with me and I, di I didn't know why but I felt like the Lord leading me to read the four gospels three times through each of course read the four gospels through three times in 30 days well, I'd never done that. It just kept on being so strong. And as I read them through, and I still read in the four Gospels, I'm reading in two of them right now on a daily basis. But when I was reading them, things that I had never seen before, that I'd never really noticed before, began to become very prominent to me. And I began to see them very clearly. But I really thought now, and this is the way we all think, I thought, well, if God is leading me to read, the four Gospels through three times in 30 days. When I read that Gospel of John, the last time, read chapter 21, and I've been through them three times, and I'll be through when I read chapter 21 of John. By the way, you know, if you wanted to do that, I'm not suggesting you need to or should. I'm just saying it's not difficult. All you do, need to do is if you read nine chapters a day for 30 days, you'll more than read through the four Gospels. It's, it's, not, it's not a hard thing to do. I just never thought of it before, and I thought that God was impressing it. But here's what I thought. When I, get, when I get to the end of it, and when I read John chapter 21 for the third time, I'll be through. And when I read John chapter 21, and I come to that last verse, then I'm ready, Lord. Do what you're going to do, Lord. Fill up the church at Orange Park. I was 25 here at the time. <laughs> God, 
God, I'm ready. Closed up my Bible. Got up and went on to do whatever I was doing. Didn't see one single thing any different. But I did begin to notice this, and I still notice it today. I read in the Gospels, and I see things in them that I had never seen before. God shows me things in the four Gospels I had never seen before. Just, just a, little, a little nuance. I've preached on several of those things here that I've never seen in the Gospel before. That God showed me, not just in that time, but subsequent to that as I continue to read them. So I am telling you that if we want the favor of God, God's going to tell us some things to do. And we need to obey Him. It may not be that when you obey Him, all of a sudden, it's like walking out of a cloud's burst into the sunshine, and you immediately see the instantaneous change. But God starts changing, and God starts working. And He starts working with somebody who's going to come and do things for you that you have never known that you've never expected because that's what God does you see God uses other people the Bible says that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous and the sinner doesn't even know it's laid up for somebody else God's got it laid up I don't have the formula of how God's going to make all that come about I'm just telling you what the word of God says and I believe what it says And I will just tell you that when you walk with God and do what God tells you, God will cause men to show favor to you. Maybe it seems like small things sometimes. It may be sometimes that somebody comes and does a great thing. But this is exactly what the Scripture says, Luke chapter 6. If you you go there and find out where Jesus is talking about, uh, uh, judge not. And you won't be, don't judge and you won't be judged. And, and uh, forgive and you, and, 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 and don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And he says, give and it shall be given unto you. He, he doesn't say in this passage, he does back over in Malachi chapter 3, it's different. God, it's coming from God no matter who gives it, no matter who brings it, it's coming from God. See, somebody, you come out and you get the very job you're looking for with the very income that you need to meet the needs of your family. It's not the man who hired you that gave you that job. No, it's God who's putting favor on your life who's giving you that job. (laughs) Or that promotion, or that increase in pay, or that blessing wherever it comes from in your family. God does something for somebody in your family. You never would have thought if God was going to do anything for anybody, why did he do it for them? But because they're in your family. Because God will bless your family when you come under the favor of God. That's why. <laughs> so, so what Jesus said was, Give it, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Men and women. People. People will bless you. You have more customers coming into your business. Have more calls for your service. Have people willing to pay you a bit more than you thought that. I started to say than you thought you were worth, but I, but I mean, more than you were expecting to receive. <laughs> don't ever think you're worth less than. Don't ever think you're worth what the world puts on you price the world puts on you is far, far less than you're worth, dear friend. 
I'm not being facetious. I was being facetious a moment ago. Now I'm, I'm declaring God's word to you. What the world says you're worth, not anything like what God says you're worth. God says you're worth a whole lot more than the world would ever give you credit for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when, when I, if I'm going to receive from God, I've got, to, I've got to do what God wants me to do. I've got to obey Him. And I, I want to make this point clear to you too. That favor is not favoritism. When God pronounces favor and visits favor upon your life, He doesn't have to take it from somebody else to give it to you. See, He's not going to say, well, you're a little bit better than He is, and so I'm going to take a little bit of what He's got and give you. No, God doesn't have to do that. God so much. He's got so much, He's looking for places to give it. <laughs> he's got such abundance, he's looking for people that are willing to take it. God's trying to distribute his glory. He's trying to distribute his blessing and favor. He's trying to distribute his provisions. He's trying to distribute his abundance because God's storehouses are running over. He's got more than he ever needs, and he wants to give it to us, to his children, by showing us favor. He doesn't have to show favoritism. You know, I used to, I used to struggle a little bit when I when I read in the scriptures that Jesus would take Peter, James, and John with him to various things and leave the others out. I said, I wonder why. Are they better than the other ones? No. Well, I could give you several reasons. I don't have time to do some. Sometime I'll preach a message that I call the inner circle and, and how we can all be in the inner circle, not just one or two. Everybody can be in the inner circle of God. That God didn't favor them. He responded, Jesus responded to people who favored him. Not that the others didn't, but in a very special way. I'm, I'm not saying Peter was the first pope. I don't think he was, but, 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 but he certainly was under the favor of God. He was under the favor of God. The scripture talks about him that so much. And James became the first head of the new Christian church after the resurrection and the ascension and, and the Pentecost. And John has often said that he was that disciple whom Jesus loved. He was close to Jesus. So close to him that Peter asked him, asked Jesus a question to get an answer from him. Now, it was because Peter chose to walk close to to him it was because John chose to walk close to him because James chose to walk close to him that he designated them with blessings and favor he didn't take anything from the others to give to them and he's not going to have to take anything from anybody else to give you what you're asking for God's got enough to give you favor in great abundance without limit and it not have to stop any time not today not tomorrow not ever the favor of God is continuous and God continues to pour it out upon us as we continue to walk So, so I, I, I will tell you that I believe, I do firmly believe, that sometimes, sometimes the favor of God is, is a divine selection. Just like when Peter, James, and John. There's a time when he makes a divine selection. I don't say that I know all of this. All I know is that this is what God's Word says. And I'm going to touch on this a minute because I don't want you to think that God's favor towards anybody is favoritism and he's blessing somebody else more than he blesses you. 
God will bless you as much as he blesses anybody sitting here in this church this morning or anybody anywhere else. If you pay the price, God cannot help but bless you commensurate with what you give to him. I don't mean just giving money. I'm talking about giving in your life. He will bless you commensurate with what you bless him. So here's what the scripture says. That there is no partiality with him. And, 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 and the declaration, I'll give you just two verses. You can look them up for yourself. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Romans 2, 11, Ephesians 6, 9. It says that God shows no partiality. That means God shows no favoritism. People would say, well, he favored the Jews over the Gentiles. No. He favored the Gentiles by, by sending the message of the gospel through the Jews by choosing a way to bring the message of salvation to the world. Favored all of us. That's We've all been grafted into the vine. Hallelujah. We're all children of Abraham because of the grace of God and the glorious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. So, so this is what, this is, uh, uh, there, there are two people, and, and I know that I almost hesitate to use these examples but they're so clear. When Mary was spoken to by the angel of the Lord, a little teenage girl told she was going to have a baby, had never had any experience with a man, and, that, and, and what he told her was impossible. But she believed it, and she said, the Lord has, he said, the Lord has highly favored you. Later on, she said, the Lord's highly favored me. Now, she was willing to accept the, look at all the possibilities of what she'd have to go through, the ignominy of that day. The stain on her reputation. All the things that would have happened that day. But she said, the Lord has highly favored me. I will take what God says and I will take God's word. Now, there was, a, there was a man. There was a man who hated Jesus Christ. He hated everybody who followed Jesus and claimed his name. He stood by while some of them were killed and even participated in the execution of some of them. In fact, he was so excited about destroying the people who followed Jesus, he got special permission to go to a new city. He had worn out the city where he was in. He got special permission to go to a new city where he could find some new believers and put them in jail and harass them and punish them. But on his way, on his way, God made a divine, sovereign selection. And he knocked Saul off of his beast of transportation into the dusty ground of the road to Damascus and blinded him with the glory of his presence. And when Paul got up, he said, Who, who are you, Lord? That's, that was a good question. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And then he said, this shows that he knew it was real. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? See, this, this, see, God knew the heart of Saul of Tarsus. Here's a man who, with the right impact from Jesus Christ in his life, will become a believer and will be a steadfast believer as long as he lives. God knew all of that. And he chose him. And I want to tell you, my friends, you and I may not be Saul of Tarsus. We may never be Paul. Doesn't expect us to be. But I will tell you this. God knows the road you're traveling on. God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly what you're willing to do in your life for him. 
God knows the commitment that you're willing to make. God knows the surrender that you're ready to, 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 to give up to Him. God knows the price that you're willing to pay. And you can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready. Now's the time. You know, Lord, it's in my heart. Now's the time, Lord. I make this decision. I stand on it for you. And I will not back away from what you're going to do for me. I will pay the price, whatever it is you ask of me, because I want to live in your favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to live in his favor, don't you? Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Let me just jump on to the end here. Psalm 90, verse 17. This is what it says. And let the beauty and delightfulness and favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us. Confirm and establish the work of our hands. Yes, the work of our hands. Confirm and establish it. Confirm what we say we'll do for you. Establish all that we commit that we'll do for you. Take all of that, Lord, as our surrender. And then let the beauty and delightfulness and favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Hallelujah. That's where I want to be. And I will tell you this morning, my friends, if you make that commitment to Him, you make that surrender to Him, I will say to you there's favor in your future. Write it down. Write it down. I said it right here today on January 22nd, this morning service. If you will do that, there's favor in your future. Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to be able to graduate. If you do what God wants you to do, you are going to. You're going to be able to get the job. You're going to be able to have the career. You're going to be able to move forward. You're able to have the marriage, have the family. If you become the person God wants you to do, He is that God wants you to be. He is going to favor you, by helping you be the person that He wants you to be. It doesn't have to be in your strength; it can be in His strength. It is so unlimited what God's favor is. I cut out about a third here. I'll probably save that for another time but I will tell you this yesterday I was in here in prayer and there was some music started and I I was praying but at the same time I was listening to some of the music that was going on I heard a couple of things that just just reminded me of so many things that God's done for me in the years of my life and one of them in particular I just I just lay here on these steps and, and, and began to sob and cry, God, this is what you've done for me. This is what you've done for me. Verse, verse words that I learned years and years ago. You know, because something is old doesn't mean it isn't any good. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I encouraged a lot of you there, didn't I? Okay. So, so but because this song is old, it doesn't take away anything of its efficacy. And I, and I, and I lay here, and I, as I heard it, and when it stopped, I still kept on hearing the words over and over and over. My, his love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth. And giveth again. Stand with me, please. Stand. If I ask this morning, you want the favor of God on your life, every single one of you would say, I do, I do, I do.
I do, I do, I do. I know you would. You'd be insane if you didn't. Of course you would. But the next question is, are you willing to follow him in the depths of wherever he leads you? Out of the upper room into Gethsemane. From the garden of Gethsemane to the Mount of Calvary. Wherever he leads, wherever he leads, are you willing to follow him? That's how the favor of God comes upon us. The favor of God comes upon us when we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I know your favor is here. 